Well, this is The New Activist. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you. Today, we get to spend time with Jenny Allen, and I feel very fortunate that we do. Jenny, among other accomplishments, is the mind and heart behind IF Gathering, and more importantly, the whole of the IF movement, which has expanded to include IF Lead, Local, Pray, Equip, and all of IF, and this is, quote, exist to equip women with gospel-centered resources, events, and community so that they may learn more about who God is and disciple other women right where they are. In addition to the IF movement, Jenny is a sought-after speaker, best-selling author, and her most recent book, Nothing to Prove, asks the questions, are you tired inside and out? Are you trying your best to measure up but still feel as though you're losing ground? You're hitting a little close to home, Jenny Allen, with those questions. Thankfully, you wrote a book with answers in it. We are together today with Jenny at Liberate, a 20-year celebration of International Justice Mission, and we are in front of a packed house of friends here in Frisco, Texas. Friends, welcome. Yeah, that feels good. Would you all join me in welcoming Jenny Allen? Yeah. Was, how'd you feel doing the live intro in front well, of- I to mention I didn't know it was live until this you know hour but yeah, it's like, great like just now you said oh it's like in front of people like, oh yeah 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 no yeah, it's, okay yeah so which I love so hey guys yeah Jenny it is a joy to be with you thanks for doing this you bet and good job uh, Jenny spoke this morning for those of you who are listening at home she spoke this morning and opened our plenary session this morning and it was uh, moving and thoughtful and and beautiful so thank you so much thank for you. being here okay I want to talk about a little bit about your bio and we'll if we can we can we exegete your bio a little tiny bit we'll take you back to your <laughs> okay. seminary days sure. um, your bio, the intro to your bio says, Jenny is passionate about inspiring a new generation of women to encounter the invisible God. So, what drives that passion? Yeah, well, honestly, I think when I was growing up, I grew up in the church, and I found myself looking for people of faith that were women, that were leading. I had really strong gifts and passions, and I found myself exploding on my friends, you know, all about Jesus, and they were like, you know, you need to calm down. This was in high school, so that was a little overwhelming. And I wanted a mentor. I wanted someone to say, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus as a strong woman. I knew that I was a strong woman, and I didn't know how that would play out in the church. And so what's been so fun is to watch as so many women have taken their place in the church. Um, the Half the Church Movement, it's a book and um, an incredible just really call to action for the church to recognize that women have largely not known their place in the church. And what's happened in the last decade, I would say, but certainly the last five years, I just... I think it's changing. I mean, women in so many ways are saying, I am going to take my place and use my gifts and be a part of the body of Christ. And, and so I'm so passionate for women. I like men too. The irony is this morning. Oh, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to the yeah. boy if gathering okay. in a second, yes. But this morning, um, two men came up and thanked me for my work and my books. And I was like, gosh, that doesn't happen. I'm usually speaking to primarily women. So I do love men too. Um, I'm married to one and birthed one and adopted one so I care about men um, but but it is really the call of my life to to rally women together for the name of Christ and and for yeah 
Because we like each other too, it helps. That's right. Yeah. And you talk and you talk about this like this new generation, like like inspiring this new generation. Like, is that a is that an age thing? Is this a new generation of of Christians? Like, what what is this generation that you wake up thinking about? Well, you know, I've gotten asked that question a lot, and I want to be clear. I think it's everybody alive on Earth. When I go to speak, um, I'm thinking of our generation, all of us living today. I imagine us getting to heaven together and being like, look what happened while we were there. You know, that was awesome. Or hopefully that's, 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 that's what I dream of is that we see ourselves as a team, those of us alive today. And, and so, yes, I think there are nuances when you look at between, you know, a 20 year old and a 40 year old and a 60 year old and an 80 year old, there are changes in what uh, culture recognizes as a shift in a generation. But honestly, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. am like, if we're breathing, Let's work together for the glory of God. That is, that's just how my brain works. I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably could have been a great coach for something like that. That's kind of my DNA. Is like, come on, let's let's do something great together. Right. And so, yeah, I, th I think if you're alive on Earth, breathing, that's who I care about. <laughs> and, and, and all of this makes sense that you would be the person that would think of and create this if movement. Um, I'm, I'm aware that there are people listening that don't, may, may not know what if gathering is, so could you share with them what it is and, and what it is meant to the world? Yeah, so we exist to put tools in the hands of women who are leading through their local churches to make disciples who make disciples. That's what we do. We build experiences. So we have a gathering. We have several gatherings in a year. Um, we have one gathering that goes out to the whole wide world. It's pretty incredible. We have 125 countries um, that we reach. Um, you know, crazy. about a million women a year we reach through that conference, through live stream, and, and not just through live stream, really how it works is that women all over the world, 2,500 events are hosted at the same time while we're hosting ours locally, and it's just incredible because, and that's where I just see women as such a powerful force for the gospel, and I'm so grateful that half the church is recognizing that and, and waking up because um, they raise their hands and say, hey, I will serve. Um, I'll have people in my home. I'll have people in my church. I'll, I'll pull people together, and I'm telling you, you all mobilize. It's it's incredible. And so even in the first year, we had um, a reach of like 40,000 and, um, and 1,500 events. So it just, it was crazy, the need. And, and I think what it was, was we wanted to come together for something great. And it has been so fun to watch women do that. I, li I think we like to be a part of a team. Um, that's how I'm wired. And it is such a sisterhood. How, but I mean, look, what is the, there are a lot of people, like, like I, I'm struck always by If Gathering by how big it is. And there's like, <laughs> Well, first, when you first kind of idea percolated in your mind, did you see? Okay, you know, you did not see like forty thousand people. All these Are people. Are you kidding? No, I just. We were worried. We thought we we did a pay what you can model. This is stupid, except <laughs> no that <kidding>. God <laughs> led us to it. And so I, but I mean, the whole, I look back at myself back then, I'm like, what were you thinking? But I know God was, was leading. And, and so we just wanted it to be accessible. So we said, okay, we'll pay what you can and come be a part. So we were worried we would ever be able to pay the bills. We did not have a backer behind us. We just, we were totally stepping out on faith. Well, the first conference sells out in 40 minutes, I think, was 1,200 seats, but we couldn't have imagined. To? Like, what is it? Well, I mean, I mean I... there were a lot of people a part of it that had a platform, but we were all a part of other conferences. You know, it wasn't, right. we, we can't explain it apart from God. We didn't have a marketing person. I remember right after it blew up, people were calling like, can I speak to your marketing person? There was one person on staff. I yeah. was like, we don't have a marketing you're, person. You're, uh, we still don't have a marketing person. You're like person. doing like fake transfers yeah. to yourself. Like, yeah, I'll go ahead and get her. Yeah, yeah and then like, you like, yeah, it's me. Hello, it's I, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, there was no strategy. 
strategy. It was so, it was, it was, I think the Lord was just gently giving steps of obedience to so many people. So, so it was, and I would never take credit for any of it because it honestly wasn't me. It was all those women around the world that raised their hand and said, I want to lead in my place. We didn't know what we were doing. We were scared. I think there was something about uh, the risk of it that that birthed what we're about, and and I think we were longing to trust God in a way. Uh, and many of us are not like the workers in IJM who are living on the front lines of justice. We are dying about it, though. And unlike many generations, we've been we've given been given a chance to see it up close. Like we're looking at our our computer screens and we see eyeballs of people, and and you know, women they can't handle that. Like we. I mean, I can't handle it. Like, I, I see it and I just come unglued. And so I think we were looking for a way to be part of something bigger. And we knew we needed a team to do that. So it was an act of God. Yeah, I'll yeah, give I, him I, all the credit. Yeah. So obviously, this is such an inspiring movement of women. But also to make it a movement like of women, there was a choice there to... Uh, I, I want just going to state it in the negative, exclude men, but that's not include women, right? So what, how does that, t- take, you started to touch on it a little bit, but I'm curious, like the heart behind, um, be behind that choice. You know, I often get to speak to men and I love doing it. I don't, I don't really have in my mind this framework of, it's more of what can I do well? And all my life, I was drawn to women. I just wanted to teach them the Bible. I remember when I first became a Christian, I came home from summer camp, I was 17 years old, and I grabbed you know, all of these younger girls because my, my older friends were tired of me talking about Jesus all the time. So I was like, I'll go down to the freshman class, they'll come into a room with me. And there was no Beth Moore yet. There wasn't this picture of like women teaching their Bibles, but I took my Bible and I taught them the book of Revelations. And yeah, smart. You did. In high school, yeah. Yeah, as a brand new believer, you've always been Jenny Allen. Like that's a really funny thing. That that was true. Like Like, I met Jesus, and this is what I do. I open my Bible, but I, God, help me if I ever open the book to the Book of Revelations and try to teach that again. I'm going to leave that to someone else. And I've been to (laughs) seminary, Um, but at the time I didn't know better, and so I just I thought it was exciting, you know, the fire and stuff. And so I just read it, (laughs) and (laughs) and taught them. Who knows what? Most of them still love Jesus, but it's just what I did. And I think God. I do think that when you look at the church whole, you can think off the top of your head of so many male leaders, especially if you go back 10 years ago. You can think of so many men that are visible, that are teaching their Bibles, that are leading in so many different ways. And and at that time, about 10 years ago, you didn't see the women. And that's changing. But I do think... um, that was my focus. That's who I saw. That's who I thought needed mobilizing and cheerleading and encouraging. So that's where I went. Do you think that uh, there has not been a... There isn't, there has not been a movement for, and I'm going to get off this train of thought, it's just like there hasn't been a movement of men that has been as wildly successful. There has been moments and there's been things like, like promise keepers, but there's, is there, is there, is there a reason for that? Is there a reason, like, is there something, I I don't know, I'm going to start answering the question, but I'd rather just hear what you have to say about that. I think it's all things to all people like Paul talks about. I think for women, us coming together felt right and important. If men would find, you know, that experience in an arena, I, I think that men need something different. My husband, a lot of what he does is minister to men, and he does it over coffee, you know, over beers. I mean, he's doing that in the context of work, and yes. I, I think that possibly what it's going to take to um, mobilize men is different. I don't think God cares about the size of the rooms. I don't That's think right. he cares about the means. I think he just wants his church mobilized. Now, I do think 
We have to be careful as women to not, to not act like, oh, you know, women's empowerment and, and think that men are against that in some way. Guys, that has not been my experience. I have felt the support of men at every step. I feel like they are for us and, and we are for them. And it's so rare that I have met, you know, just opposition from men about women using their gifts and serving. It's, it's truly been the opposite. And so I think we've got to be careful to that we don't always separate and that we start to get cynical. Um, and so my, my hope is that um, I believe in a lot of ways men were more mobilized and now women are kind of catching up. But my hope is not that anyone would slow down. I mean, we only have a few decades here, so let's all be mobilized to our fullest potential for the glory of God all the days of our life. Like, that's the dream and the hope. Yeah. If is uh, n- not a church, I would not define it as a church, but like it's it's kind of close. Like, if you start to check off, like, what is a church? Like, can you differentiate, like, like you, like, why it's not, but also why isn't it? So, parachurch ministries exist to serve the church. A Christian parachurch ministry exists to serve the church. That's what If Gathering has always known to do. I remember deciding early on, my husband was a, a, a local church pastor yeah. for a decade, and so we care about the local church in our bones. In fact, it's what we exist to build and serve. So when we decided to start this parachurch ministry, it was always important to us that if we ever felt like we were bypassing the church, people were coming to us instead of the church, that it wasn't leading people to the church, we would shut it down. And and we knew that um, that would have to be a strategic move. So we didn't go to arenas. We decided to go into homes and churches. We really believed that the power of life change happens in and through the local church. Now, we might be get ticked at the local church. We might be hurt by the local church. We may feel like the local church is failing us in some way. But the truth is, God's not moving apart from it. It's what his word says. He's going to set up his church and all hell can come against it. But it is not going to fall. So we know that this is the way that God works. So as a parachurch, organization, what separates us is that we know that coming to an if gathering event is the most limited thing you can do for your Christianity if you are not part of a local church. We will inspire you, we will disciple you, we will kick you into discipleship and movement, but we will always kick you back into the local church to do it. Why? Because we need community, we need life on life, face to face, community. It's what Jesus meant. He spoke to thousands, but he kept coming back to the 12. We've got to reclaim discipleship as the means for God to build his kingdom. And in the internet age, going on a coffee date is losing its luster. We think there's something more important and bigger we should do. And yes, there is the work of justice and all of that, but you go talk to the justice leaders out here and they're picking up a human face to face. The front lines ones are picking up a human face to face, looking them in the eye, wrapping them up and taking care of their needs. It's the same in America. We have got to look a human in the eye, wrap them up and take care of their needs. That's how the kingdom of God always has been built. And dare we change it in an internet age. So our hope is that we're pushing people back to life on life relationships in the local church. And that how we do that is we put tools in people's hands and create experiences for them to use in their local context. Yet this the next generation that you are like so passionate about and working so hard to care for, like every study says, every Barna study, every Pew Research study says that in droves there is an exodus from the church. So like what you're saying is this, re, like I love it because it's like this utopian idea of like that's what should happen. Enter through if gathering, understand, and then be a part of the local church, and these two things get to just work and just great harmony, yet we know that people are just not connecting that way in the church. 
Do you, what, how have you reconciled that? What is, first of all, do you agree? You can just reject the premise of the question, but like, what, I, yeah, I what's actually, going on? I actually strongly disagree. Okay, then tell I, me Everywhere why. I go, I am watching people come to Jesus. Everywhere I go, I am watching people come back to the church. Now they're coming back limping, and they're coming back a little confused, a little bit cynical, but they're coming back. I, yeah. I'm, I am not, when I go, now I, if I turn on Twitter and the news, I'm very discouraged. If I go to um, <laughs> Wilmington, I'm not discouraged. In Wilmington, Virginia, there's movement of God. Like, th- this, is, this is how he, he works. He, 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 and we can't lose sight of the fact that neighborhoods, college campuses, in small places all over the world, people are encountering Jesus and they need a local church. So they come and it's broken. And I think what's happening is the cynicism is turning into repair work. I think what's happening is instead of being cynical now, we're like, you know what, we could change things. We could. And, and I'm watching and I'm talking to those people. So I'm actually feeling great hope for the church. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do, but I think we've got people that are willing to um, do that work. And I can't wait to see the church in two more decades. I don't think it's actually going to shrink. I think it's actually going to grow. And I, and I um, you know, the, the issues that we've got to face and deal with as a church are very real. But I'm watching us finally as a church come face to face with them and start to deal with them. And, and yes, on the news, you see some discouraging things, but when you talk to leaders behind the scenes, um, there's movement and there's change and the conversations. People are more open than they've ever been to, um, to repent and to consider what they don't know about um, what they don't know. I'm glad you disagreed with that question yeah. and, and, and shared with us because like, I, maybe I'm on Twitter too much, but it does feel kind of like, it does feel kind of helpless sometimes, but like it's good to hear you say like when you're actually there watching it, it's 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 not a hopeless situation. It's actually um, beautiful. What what is profound to me about um, your your platform and the if platform and this huge thing is just how you all leverage it. Um, one way, I mean, is by just giving massive exposure and support to International Justice Mission, who, for those that are listening, uh, IJM presents the new activist. And so it's a very big deal um, because, one, there are a lot of great causes and organizations in the world. There's a lot of ways that you all could leverage this massive movement, and IJM gets to be the beneficiary of so much of it. And, and I mean, there's like there was the Arise study that came out, and it was it was awesome reading it because it's like inspiring, inspiring. And then you're, the story on the every fifth day was an IJM story, and it was really touching because you didn't, I mean, like, you didn't have to put it there, <laughs> like, right? It was a choice. So what is the choice with going in so deeply with IJM? Well, gosh, I believe in IJM so big because they're actually going to the very darkest parts of the world mm-hmm. and bringing rescue. I can't do that. I've gotten to know some of the rescue workers, and I'm like, I kind of try to, it makes me want to work out more when I hear their stories. Like Amrit, I traveled with her for a little while and she goes in and she's this little petite thing and she goes in and like talks to, she talks to everybody that, um, I mean, she'll go face the traffickers when they get arrested, like look them in the eye and like yeah. unleash on them. And I'm like, Amrit, like you are so brave. And she goes into the brothels and she literally gets the women and takes them out. I mean, she is, she is my superhero. I mean, I, I love her. And and so I look at that and I'm like, I can't be Amrit. Amrit um, is 
best friends with the police chief. Um, you know, I, I'm not put in the position of armament, but I can mobilize, what I can do is I can mobilize that million women and we can get behind armament and we can support her in prayer, we can support her in giving, and it's been so fun. It feels like if gathering is this nuclear weapon and we just have to decide where to point, aim, fire, and we cause damage, not because of if gathering, because of all these people compiling their gifts together and believing in something together. And so it's been so fun to get the emails from Melissa Russell every once in a while. He'll say, hey, we just rescued 10 more people yeah. because of if gathering. And I'm like, that blows my mind. And that's like real. Like that's a real it's like. It's real. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. real. Yeah. It just, yeah, it's un unbelievable. Yeah. I remember um, it was like there was a, a call for, I think it was like um, Freedom Partners, maybe an if gathering. And you know, you, you work internally. Here's a little inside IJM. You start to forecast. You're like, okay, well, we hope that it will have this kind of impact, and we need to order this many pieces of paper to give out to people. And they ran out in like nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, we like, were all blown away it, by that. It is a pretty, it is a pretty unbelievably uh, charged movement of of women. It's awesome to see. Well, what I love is the heart for justice in that movement. I mean, we we really believe not on our watch. <laughs> When you see something like the injustice of slavery, the injustice of sex slavery, cyber sex slavery, which we're going to focus on this year, I mean, when you see it, how do you not, if there's something you can do, if there's something you can do, even if it affected one child, would you do it? And of course, as a movement, we are like, heck yes, and in stronger language usually behind closed doors, because <laughs> it is... It is, yes, like not on our watch because we have been reconciled to God because we have hope and we are dripping with privilege. We are dripping with the ability to help. And what is privilege? Privilege always is something to give away. It's always something to dispense, to give it away. And, and so it's been fun if gathering is privileged in a lot of ways. And, and I know, and I think when we get to heaven, I'll, I'll be curious. I know he's not going to rank the work. I mean, I talked about that this morning. But I do think like some of the most important stuff we're doing on earth is actually using our gifts together to rescue human lives. I think that working with IJM to do that's probably some of the most important things we do. Yeah, well, we're grateful for it. But even broader than IJM, like zooming out from IJM, yeah. like this word justice encompasses I mean, a lot, right? Like, even on the show today and in the live shows, we're talking about racial reconciliation. We're yeah. talking about rights for all people. We're talking about immigration reform. We're talking about a lot of different things that are all under this justice umbrella. How do you see the if gathering, the life of if, if gathering, and really the life of Jenny, like, as conduits for doing the work of justice? You know, I mean, it's that constant day by day of, right. Lord, um, where do you want me? You know, I, I'm comforted by the fact that Jesus couldn't heal everyone, you know, that, that, that even Jesus couldn't, because there, there rises in me often an urgency and a desperation of more, 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 and, and that is not how Jesus modeled it. He modeled it as obedience and faithfulness. And so I think when I think of justice for me, it's a constant yielding to the Holy Spirit, noticing what I have, like fish and loaves, to work with. Like, okay, God, I'm not going to pretend I don't have these little fish and loaves, even though they feel, you know, measly. I'm going to still bring those, and you tell me where and how and when. And it, he's done that, and he's been faithful to do that. And, and I think if all of us are doing that as the church, if all of us would just say, okay, fish and loaves, here's what I got. And I know it. For, uh, the number one lie women face is inadequacy that they're not enough, that they don't have anything to bring. 
And so if we could fight and combat that lie, which I think is happening, then we would bring, yeah, we aren't enough. Okay, it's kind of, this is my thing. I'm like, yeah, we aren't. Like, that's, that's what I believe. I'm like, we aren't, I'm a sinner. I, I'm not extra special really in any way, except for my cheerleading abilities, which I mentioned this morning. Um, that is very special. It was special. Yeah. Yeah, I had my day. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I don't have all these extra special things to bring, but God, I work with God. Right. I work with God of the universe. And all he says is, hey, bring this and let's see what happens when you believe me when you trust me. And I think that's what IJM has done so beautifully. The thing I love about IJM the very, very most is how much you pray. You pray all the time. It's it is, weird. It is, it is weird, weird how much you pray. You I'm not kidding. <laughs> I went weird. to a conference last year with IJM yeah. and I kept walking into rooms waiting to hear speakers, but everybody was just praying in every room. That's all they did. Like everywhere I went, I was like, oh, this is a prayer conference. They're like, no, it's just our conference. And I was no. like, oh, that's what you do at your conference. You just pray. Oh, you should um, come to the prayer conference. It's a whole different event. It's, it's so unbelievable. I mean, it's just, I have prayer everywhere. And so I, I love it. I just think that is, that is where we've got to start, church, is we've got to believe God. And we've got to believe in the supernatural work of God. And if we could close our eyes and actually form words to him, that shows dependence. That shows belief. That shows trust. For us to be in our closets forming words to an invisible God, it shows that we believe in him. And I think that he moves through faith. You know, that's what he does. And so I think for me as a preacher and as someone called to communicate a lot, that's my prayer is that faith is rising, <laughs> that there's constantly a bigger view of God and what he could do on earth through us. I want to dig into your uh, your origin story a little bit. Like growing like you shared with us at the beginning that there was this moment when you know, you go, you understand who Jesus is, you come back, you're opening revelations, right? Like, how, what, what's leading up to that? Did you grow up in a home where faith was a particularly important or not important part of, uh, uh, of your life and of your family's life? It was an important part of our did lives. Did you say wasn't? Was. Oh, was. Yeah, they actually really did love God. I remember my dad leading Advent. I don't know if your parents are that godly, but mine were that godly. And mm. I'm not that godly. Um, I've never led Advent because we're too busy and it's sad, but it's true. What's leading Advent? I guess like, clearly I don't. It's like, so this, it? like you light candles. Did anybody else do it? It's you light candles and every Sunday night, like you light a candle and talk about an attribute of God and Christmas. And it was really oh. meaningful, except one year my sister's hair caught on fire, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> so my dad would lead that. And I look back and I remember thinking it was very forced at the time. Like I remember watching him and his jaw was clenched and it was like, do you really mean this? Are you... And I remember being critical of that. And I remember thinking to myself, I just don't know. I just don't know what I think. It was more like God was like a fixture in our home. Now I look back at my dad and I go, my gosh, he made sacrifices to give us God. And no, that wasn't comfortable for him, but he did it. And I'm so moved by my parents' faith. But at the time I thought, is this for real? Like, do y'all really love God? And, and so I, when I grew up and I met God, um, and it's just been trouble ever since because I just fell so madly in love with him that I became obnoxious. I really was, and I still am because I just, I really can't <laughs> believe it. It's like, I, I mean, I remember being in seminary classes and I was one of the only women and we would talk about God and I was sitting there weeping and I was like, 
can y'all believe this? Like, can you believe that he did all that on the cross? Like justification, sanctification. I can't remember all the other Asians, but it was, un. I was like, oh my gosh, it like blew my brain that he was that big and good and loving. And, and, and all the men are like taking notes and like disagreeing. And I'm like, who, what? What is wrong with y'all? Like, we need a worship song. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is, this is amazing. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I do think um, that, yes, God built me differently than he built my dad. But I look at my dad now. He has given to so many organizations. He has been a faithful elder at our church. He is built differently than me, but he has lived such a faith journey and in front of me and been an example of someone calmer, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> Please, did I interrupt? No. Yeah, as a father of uh, young daughters, like, I hope that, like, my daughters say even, like, a little piece of that when they grow up, because that's a very um, sweet thing. You you mentioned seminary, and I'm I'm curious. You went to a seminary that would not have agreed that you should be ordained as a pastor. I'm curious how you squared that in your mind then, and if that's changed at all. We're going there. Okay. Why not? I mean, Um, that's... (laughs) Okay, Jenny Allen. Okay. Um, You know... I never had a desire. I always felt called to women from the time I became a believer. So I never felt like I had, I did do the work on that in seminary with the professors and landed in the place that I thought. You talk to the seminary professors at any given seminary, they're gonna disagree on the roles of women in the church. You talk to any local church elder, pastor, they're gonna disagree on what it looks like for women in the church today and, and in the past and in the future. And that's going to be the case as long as we are on earth. That is going to be the case. We've got to kind of realize that. And what Paul said when you disagree about something, he, he said something about head coverings, like we should wear head coverings. But then the last verse of that passage, which is troubling to me because I don't know, I don't want to wear a head covering in church, and, and so, but I want to obey God. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. And, but I read the last part of that verse, and he said, just whatever you decide, just don't cause dissension. And so for me, the way I view women's roles in the church is whatever you decide, whatever church you choose, just just submit to that church, that local church. Submission is an important value in church to um, husband to elder, not to all men, not to, you know, all people, but but all of us need somewhere in our lives we're submitting to. I submit to a group of friends that hold me accountable in a small group. I submit to my husband because I like having a boss because he's a good one and he loves me and he protects me and he gets to decide like, yes, take this speaking engagement. And he pushes me out the door more than I would even want to go. Um, and I know that's not always common. Submission for many people has felt like a gun to their head. It has felt like abuse. It has felt like disruption. It has felt like limitation. It has felt the opposite of believing God and um, unselfish sending and building of the gospel. So I want to say that really clearly. I do not think that in all cases um, submission is healthy or helpful. But I do think in all of our lives we need a place to submit. So for me, the local church is a great place for that. I love finding myself in the helm and leadership of a local church. But what I know is that whatever, by whatever means possible, we have got to preach the gospel by whatever means possible. And, and so I agree in submitting to local church values and understand what those values are. As a woman, you should know what are the roles of women in the church as far as it concerns these elders and local church. If you can't submit to that, find a different local church. But we can't be about roles and positions. That is not the Bible. 
That is not the Bible I read. I read my Bible and it says you lay down roles and positions. You pick up a cross. You make disciples as far as it concerns you in every nation, every tongue. It's like we can't as women use the excuse that we don't have a role or position at our church to not make disciples. We have got to be about the work of the gospel because when we get to heaven, they're not going to say, God's not gonna look at us and say, what position did you hold in your local church? So I just don't want us to be too distracted about it. Is there misogyny in the church right now? Yes. Do women feel oppressed in the local church right now? Yes. Is that okay? No. And as far as it concerns men, my hope would be that you would do everything you can to empower, believe in, esteem, set up to win, just like my husband does every day. He is like, Jenny, he is at home with our son, getting him ready for football, taking him to that game, and he sent me off in prayer this morning, and he checked on me as soon as I got off that stage. He goes, how'd it go? He is so for me. Our, that is what I see, is a less about roles and positions and more about men saying, go fight, win for the glory of God to the side of the church that's female. Yeah. That's what I see. And I think, I actually think men want to do that. I think men want to do that because we've made it about roles and positions. They don't, and they're, they're afraid and they don't know how to do that. And so I think we've got to have better conversations in the church. I have found it true that most men are for us women. And we've just got to make sure that we're not assuming limitations that they haven't put on us. How do you respond? Okay, Jenny Allen. I'm keep, really fired up. You are. I love it. And I'm not even interrupting you. I'm not even trying to interrupt. Just keep firing. I'm just like sitting Indian style if you can't see me. I, I, know, I'm I, like, I know. This is really, a, a, you are a sight to behold. It's all <laughs> happening right now. Um, but so, okay, you, you have answered this question in other places enough that like, I, I'm curious, like there are people that don't agree with you and people that you respect that are smart that will say like, no, I, it is not my job to submit to my husband. And they like, will recoil at that. Now, granted, that is like a the belief that you held and you explained clearly, but like, how do you respond when people disagree with you and people that you respect and love? Well, like, how are you, I think yeah. that word is so misused. We okay. are co-laborers, my husband and I. Okay. Yeah, we are co-laborers. We, very rarely do we come to something where I have to say, you know, it's, it, you know, it's either his way or the highway. I mean, we, we just, we are such a team. And I think that's what's broken right now is we have, we have separated. The enemy has done this to us. He has separated us and put us in our corners and we all feel so different and we don't feel like we're on the same team. And, and he and I are, are teammates and there's not, there, he, he leans into my roles of teaching and, and, and insight. Like he, he wants to know what I think about things. He trusts my discernment. Um, we collaborate on almost everything. He serves on the If Gathering board. We are teammates. We are co-laborers. That's how we see our marriage. Very rarely am I in a position where I have to submit to my husband. I just don't want us to be afraid of submission because I think we're in a very independent society where we have none of it anymore. And now we've rejected because of unhealthy um, relationships and abuse. We've rejected all submission, but submission is protection. It's, it's a team of people saying, hey, bad idea. <laughs> it's, it's not trusting ourselves too much. It helps me stay humble. It helps me stay grounded. It helps me remember like I'm a part of a body and I want to be a really good hand or thumb or whatever part I'm playing. I want to play that part really well, and I don't want to get a big head. I think, I think that's what we're, when I'm talking about submission, I'm just talking about relationship. I'm talking about having the people in your life that can call you when you're being a jerk, 
you know, the people mm-hmm. in your life. And everybody needs this, guys. Head pastors need this. Everybody needs this. This is not something I'm suggesting for women. This is something God suggested for all people. And so that's the thing I just don't want to miss right. is that my husband, um, it, but when it's unhealthy and abusive, I am, let me be really clear, I am oh, yeah. not talking about that. No. And so, but my husband and I are, we consider ourselves and we use the language a lot more co-laboring. Right. And it, it is, um, it's fun. I love our marriage. I, I think our marriage is probably one of my favorite parts of life. Now we fought for that marriage. We've gone to a lot of counseling to, to have that marriage. Um, we have, we have worked through a lot to, to be here 22 years later, but it is, I think it is such the picture of Christ in the church of, of love, sacrifice, um, for the greater cause of the glory of God. Our kids, you know, yes, my son, I was not at this football game today because I'm here, but he also believes in the work I do and he's a part of the work I do. And if he would be here today, if it wasn't for the the responsibilities he has. So we see ourselves as a team, not just husband and wife, but as a team on mission, laying down our lives together. And and it's been a fun ride. And I've got now a college grad who loves Jesus and is somewhat turning out pretty awesome. And so I feel, (laughs) you know, said loosely for an 18 year old boy. Um, (laughs) But I'm watching the fruit of of parenting that way. And and so far, besides probably a small counseling budget that we keep to the side, it's gonna be okay. Like, um, it's gonna be, they they love God and they, they wanna give their lives away too. Your life as an activist, I find that so many people that have been on this show their activism journey starts with an activating moment. Like they saw something in the world that wasn't as it should be and it just, they, they, they couldn't accept it and they had to do something and they had to take a small step. I'm curious in your life, you've leveraged so much like you, of if gathering in your own life and it's just so clear that you are pursuing justice in so many different forms. I'm curious if there's a, is there a time or a moment or a thing or something that just sparked you? Well, and I have different opinions about whether I should have ever even gone on this trip right now, but I was a junior in high school. It was before the summer that I was, I believe I was even saved, where I understood the gospel fully. And I went to um, Haiti, and I, I saw truly for the first time as a 16, 17-year-old suffering. And, and I remember coming home, and again, you know, I'm a little bit fiery, and I remember just coming home and, and going, this, the, Haiti is a two-hour plane trip, people, from Florida. It's a two-hour plane trip. I, I was like, how are people living like this two hours from the border of Florida? Like, I, I couldn't figure it out, like, how the golf course and the tent city were two hours apart. I, I, like, as a 16, 17-year-old, I just, I couldn't figure it out. And so I think starting prior even to understanding my need for Jesus, I think I understood that the world was broken and something had to change. And as far as it concerned me, I wanted to give my life to helping that. Now, what's cool is when Jesus redeemed me, he gave me a framework for it. The study we just did with IJM and If Gathering was actually a theology of justice. Yeah. Because I think sometimes as Christians, we can start to think, well, justice is a worldly plan. It's, it's something that governments are trying to accomplish. No, no, it, it originated with God. Like he is justice. That's who he is. And so understanding God better has only built my heart for justice. How would you define activist? Someone, you know, I just did a study on Proverbs. We were studying that this year at If Gathering and the fool is complacent. That was a verse in Proverbs one. The fool is complacent. And I thought about how many days that word could very easily describe me. 
Like I have a tendency to watch an entire season of a Netflix show in a week. Like that is possible. I just want you to know that's possible. And I've done it yeah. more than once. And, <laughs> and so when you, when you give your days to complacency, which I think is our norm, you see that with working out, you see that with eating, you see that with work, you see that with anything. Our flesh loves to be complacent. Then we are being a fool. That our days are limited and that the wise, which is the contrast in Proverbs, that the wise seek justice. It is all over the book of Proverbs. They seek justice. They fight. They pick up whatever they have and they go to war against the injustices because I just, Dr. Brenda this morning, y'all, I was on the front row and I was like, I hope everybody behind me is giving a standing ovation because I'm going. Um, It was so powerful talking about reparations. Like we get to go fight for the good of others. We get to be the repairers of the streets. And, And I just, I think it is, it's just part of being Christian. It's part of following our Bibles. We can't miss it. Friends, would you join me in thanking Jenny Allen? Well, we are so grateful for Jenny Allen and her life and how she leverages so much of her life for the sake of other people and grateful for your honesty and time today on The New Activist and for letting me do this whole exit in front of you. You're very kind. To keep up with the world of Jenny Allen, head to JennyAllen.com, J-E-N-N-I-E, Allen.com. There are links to her writing, speaking, social media, and also make your way over to If Gathering. If Gathering 2019 is uh, in Dallas, Texas, February 8th and 9th, right? That's right. I won't be there, but a lot of people will be, and it's going to be a very exciting time. Of course, the conversation that has started here will continue over on the New Activist Facebook and Twitter. Both of those are New Activist Is and on our website, newactivist.is. A thanks to the Brilliance Music for scoring today's show. And finally, a thank you to the audience and volunteers here live in Frisco, Texas. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Jenny Allen, the IF Gathering, and my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. Mm-hmm.